right. Uh, okay. You're going to stop talking trash on the DCEU, okay? I'm not talking trash on the DCEU. I'm talking trash on the I will smack your fucking headset right off your black Zack Snyder movies uh, specifically. I mean, technically, they're all I, Zack Snyder movies. He started. Oh my God! Come on, man. They are not all Zack Snyder movies. Let me ask that's you a like, question, though. That's like saying uh, the uh, the MCU are all John Favreau movies. Like, what are no, you talking? No, they're about? all Kevin Feige movies. He oh laid the groundwork. God. Zack Snyder's Kevin Feige now. Basically. Oh my fucking god. Okay. Kind of. Okay. Let me ask you a question, though. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I know you saw my tweet. Uh, the, the, the tweet about congratulations, hands up, round of applause for Warner Brothers. Oh, that one. Yes. Okay. So I'm assuming you saw the subsequent replies to that to that message to that tweet. Uh, yeah, I saw. They was getting into it a little bit in in the comments. Yeah. Do, I mean, am I wrong? Or is the comedian and the Flashpoint Batman not like almost eerie similar? Yes, you're very wrong. They're not similar at all. The, what? The, I mean, they have they have like certain traits in common, but I mean, I mean, if, if we're talking about like like not like core character, but like appearance and like base level things. I mean, both middle, yeah. both middle aged white guys probably in their sixties, right? Sixties or seventies, both. Middle-aged white guys or old white guys both use guns. Yes, one is Batman's dad, and one is you know, but and but fucking the comedian is also a superhero's dad. He's the uh, the Silk Spectre's dad. Okay, this feels like a lot of reaching, to be honest. A lot, a lot of reaching. It feels like a reach. They don't even really look similar, to be honest. No, they don't look similar, but like their overall aesthetic is the same. Is it? Like when you when you see Rorschach and Batman, you don't think they look exactly the same, but their overall aesthetic is there. No, not even that. Rorschach looks like a detective with a mask on. Batman looks like Batman. The aesthetic are their aesthetics are not similar. They're they're similar characters, especially since Rorschach is Rorschach right, whatever, whatever. is, is clearly supposed to be like a parody of him. But yeah, no. Nah, nah. Welcome back, folks, for another brand new episode of Words from Blurs. Did I get it right this time? No, you didn't. No, you're fucking lying. You hesitated. I did not! Yes, you did. You said it like two seconds before. I mean, I said it. You said it two seconds after I did. Bullshit! You say this every time. I don't say I mean, stop fucking up. Anyway... I'm JT, and the annoying voice on the other side of your eardrums is my co-host, Adu. What's up, what's up, what's up? Hello, nerd. Oh. Oh, still on a lockdown, but um, states are starting to slowly open up. 
too prematurely. Which is weird because I have heard no news of a vaccine or uh, treatment, uh, health being improved. I, I've seen nothing like that, so it's kind of weird that places are opening up uh, like shit's just sweet. But I guess we'll see how that, you know, goes. I don't see it going anywhere well. But, you know, I guess we'll see. Are you, are you uh, how far away from uh, from the mic? You're coming in a little quiet. Wait, let me see if it's my end. No, I'm up all the way. It's you. That's better? Yeah, that's a lot better. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. I'll just hold it for me right here. It's close to my face. So, uh, this week, uh, you know, pretty light. Not too much to go over. Uh, we're going to be talking about Spike Lee's newest joints, oh. a collaboration with Netflix called The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the weekend, HBO uh, put out Watchmen, the limited series, for free, you know, to show some solidarity with uh, Black Lives Matter and all of the civil unrest going on uh, in the world right now. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that as well. So, let's go ahead and start out with the Five Bloods. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. Look what I found. You're the man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. Justin, <laughs> this movie was really interesting. It was. Um, it was okay. So. The Five Bloods, right, is it, basically a film that it has a lot of themes. It has themes of uh, brotherhood, themes of civil rights, redemption, about, yeah, redemption uh, fighting for your country when your country doesn't necessarily want to fight for you. And the PTSD from that. Oh, yeah, a lot of PTSD uh, in, in the movie, you know. Um, so the Five Bloods, which stars Chadwick Boseman of Black It does not star Chadwick Boseman. He just happens to be. I was going to say the entire cast. He wasn't going to be the whole only name I said. He's just probably the most well known out of the whole cast right now. But yeah, it stars Chadwick Boseman, uh, Delroy Lindo, uh, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis. Isaiah Whitlock, which if you watch a lot of Spike Lee movies, you know from saying sheet all the time, every time you see him. Uh, and Paul Walter Hauser, who I remember from uh, that movie. Um, 
it came out. I Tanya, who I remember from I Tanya. But uh, yeah, uh, so the film centers around these four Vietnam vets, who these four black Vietnam vets who traveled to Vietnam from the States to search for gold, as well as the body of their fallen brother, uh, Storm and Norman, played by, as uh, previously stated, uh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick, he's looking sick these days, by the way. Yeah, I heard I, I heard that he was admitted to a hospital, but I, I didn't know if that was real or not. Was he? I have no idea, but I would I would believe it. Yeah, I, I saw that video. I didn't know if he was like slumming down for a role or if he was uh, feeling ill. But that was the first time I ever seen him like look his age. You know, it was pretty alarming. I hope he's doing all right. Yeah, I hope uh, our black pay. We need our king of Wakanda. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. um, but it stars yeah. Chadwick Boseman as I guess he's the Storm and Norman. Star- yes, Storm and Norman. I guess he's the platoon leader of this of this ragtag group of of black soldiers fighting in the Vietnam War. And um, it starts there, and then it really mostly takes place in like the current day. I guess it's current day where they're back together. They fly back to Vietnam to to find the the gold, so to speak, that Storm and Norman died with. Um, and you know, I guess their their plan is to take back that gold because in the movie, the gold was given to I guess to the American soldiers to give to the Vietnamese people as a as a means of brokering peace. Here and there, but this group of soldiers decides to keep that one that one shipment because they're being shot at, and they say they're going to come back forty years, fifty years later. I guess it's forty years at this point mm-hmm. uh, later. It's a big to dig up that gold and you know find Storm and Norman's remains, as he was the one who who died um, trying to save the them and the gold. And I will say here that if you have not seen The Five Blood yet, we will be going to spoilers. So go and watch it and then come back. And, um, you know, one of the one actor that really stood out to me in this film was Delroy Lindo as yes. Paul. His character, Paul, um, he, he was an interesting character because you could tell he was the type of guy who really felt like he got the the, the, the short end of the stick. Short end of the stick, exactly, in life. Um, you know, he's angry about how things have turned out in his life. He has a bad relationship with his son. Uh he's 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 the friend that is clearly suffering the most from PTSD. And there's a reason for that, which we'll go over later. Um you know, you can tell he's the friend that the other bloods they gotta like keep an eye on. Uh, I, I I thought it was interesting for a character beat for Spike to have him be a Trump supporter, and like, I I see why he was because like I said, he felt like he got the short end of the stick. He feels like he sees other people prospering, and he's not, and he's a Vietnam vet, and he's like, well, I want to prosper too, you know. And they even have he wears a, a MAGA hat in the movie and everything. Talks about how he voted for Trump. You know the other bloods they make fun of him. They're like, "Man, you voted for President Bone Spurs for real," you know. And it's like it, it was interesting to see how you know they clearly disagreed on like a big thing like that. But you know they I mean at the end of the day they're still bloods. You know they're still brothers. 
because right. they bonded over while they were over in Vietnam. So, uh, would you say Paul was your favorite character too? I would say Paul was my favorite character. Um, I can't think of the other guy's name. Which one? Uh, the 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 older not ugh, yeah I guess they were all older weren't they the fatter one Isaiah what uh Melvin yes Melvin 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 I think he had the best lines I only remember she or he had the best line delivery he had the best one liners I thought he did yeah yeah he was hilarious I love Isaiah Whitlock every anytime he just pops up and stuff he's always hilarious I thought of the, I felt like the sun was out of place really what why I don't really feel like he added much to this to the story. I mean, if anything, he gave his father, uh, Paul, um, uh, a a target to aim his rage and his frustrations at. Mm. I don't really feel like he added much. He didn't really redeem his father, and I feel like he was initially there just for selfish selfish reasons, which was initially, as we saw in the beginning, to get some of that gold. So do you think that was legit or do you think he just said that because he didn't want to say what he was actually there for, which is to try and repair uh, their relationship? Because I felt like he just said that just to say it. Because you could tell, like, Paul isn't exactly the type of dude to get, like, too emotional, right? So maybe he, like, said that just to, I don't know, just avoid getting mushy or I don't know. I don't know because I feel like – because from what I understand – uh, or what I remember, David, who was Paul's um, son, David um, killed his mother when he was born. Like she died in childbirth, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so I imagine a character or a person to be raised by Delroy Lindo's Paul would definitely be somewhat cut off and not really care as much. Because I mean, just from his treatment alone in the movie. For, from for the what the one or two three days we saw of their interactions together in that one movie, I can't imagine what the relationship was like for twenty mm. something odd years, where he'd be like honestly, genuinely interested in checking in on his father, as opposed to really just trying to cash in on something he knows his father probably mentioned a few times. It was very up and down too. It felt like one minute they was cool, the next uh, I have no son, the next. You know, he's just worried me. about them again. Yeah, you're dead. To, it was very up and down with uh, their relationship throughout the film. Uh, how'd you feel about Otis, who I felt was the heart of the Five Bloods? Oh, he was definitely the he was the heart, and he was uh, in, uh, in some aspects the the brains. I would say. Yeah, he, he's definitely like the glue that kept them all together, especially after Storm and Norman's death. Yeah, man, I feel like he definitely he. He was definitely, um, I was invested in his character. I was invested in him finding the gold. I mean, Spike gave us, uh, he basically had this whole family or his daughter he didn't even know he had with some prostitute. He's stayed friends with for for decades, but he never knew she had a daughter. That I don't I don't understand. He, so that, that subplot, uh, what did you think of it? Like, did you like it or? I felt I felt like it was odd. It was somewhat tacked on. I mean, I mean, it gave us a reason to want to see him to to come through it on the other side because we want to see him begin that relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. you know. But I felt like all this time, like he's had this communication. I'm sure he's had this communication back and forth with this lady. Has to he? It. Did they say that? I mean, 
I don't I know. Like, I feel, aren't we just like assuming? I mean, it, 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 it's really strange that after 40, 30, 40 years from Vietnam, she just happens to be the person who's brokering the deal between him and the Frenchman. I don't think it's that. Maybe, maybe he no contacted there. her when the, I'm, maybe he contacted her when they first heard about the gold showing up again. I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like that part didn't necessarily need to be in the movie. It was a nice anchor, I suppose, but I wasn't, I didn't feel it was wholly necessary. Okay. You? Um, I also felt, I didn't have an issue with it, but it also felt, to me, it felt kind of tacked on a little bit only because it didn't add too much to the main story it didn't it didn't really inform otis's care i mean i guess we kind of did learn a little bit more about his personality through that subplot but it wasn't super like necessary to the main point of the film you know like Absolutely. you could you could argue the subplot with uh, Paul and his son added to the main story, you know his PTSD, yeah. uh, his relationships, uh, the theme of fatherhood, all that, you know, because one could even one could even say Storm and Norman was almost like a, a second father to Paul. Agree. You know? They very clearly had a a a, a bond, you know that maybe the other bloods didn't necessarily share. So my question to you uh, now, uh, what do you think, what did you think about the flashback scenes and them being the exact same age <laughs> that they were in the flashback scenes? But then at the very end, you see the photo of them de-aged and looking yeah. younger with Storm and Norman. So yeah. what, do you, what so, do you think was the purpose of that? I, I've heard multiple things. Um, I've heard that number one, uh, Netflix didn't give Spike enough money for him to either a hire different actors to play the younger versions of them, or b de-age them for those scenes. Um, that's what I was confused. Why, that's what why I heard. Not, why not? Yet? I have no, no, no. That's the thing. I heard that Netflix didn't give him enough money to do that. What what um I guess which would be shocking to me because why wouldn't you give this movie, I mean it's Spike Lee like you you're not giving him a buddy movie, this movie to me it felt very like found footagey you know I love it. oh but also as far as uh the other reason as to possibly why he did that and maybe it's just a reason he came up with it later um I felt maybe that okay so soldiers right when they go off to war they they a lot of times they come back changed. So maybe Spike was trying to show that, like, they never really left the war. You get what I'm saying? Which they, is why they look the same in the flashbacks. That is confusing. Like, me like mentally, you know, like mentally, they never really left Vietnam. You're telling me that, but it doesn't make any sense. If they didn't leave Vietnam, wouldn't they still be the same age, like, that they were in actual Vietnam? I mean, maybe, but I feel like it could turn, like, either way, too. It was really odd. I, I don't know if that's a style – if that's a choice I fully understand. There was definitely I, – I, you definitely could have hired some cheaper, some cheap actors, younger-looking actors. Maybe. I don't know. I, that, are, that would also be – It's not be... like the flashback scenes were a huge part of that movie. Uh, 
there was one specific moment that was pretty important. Yes, with that part was important, but I'm not. I'm saying it's like overall, they could have hired younger actors because it's not like they would have been super expensive. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe he just spent up all the money. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But those those were the two things I heard being bounced around as to why uh, Spike did that. Right. Uh, and any you have anything to say about a uh, pigeon toed Eddie? Why the why is this man pigeon toed, bro? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I felt like his character got the least amount of development. You know? Yeah, I he did. actually no, that's not true. That's not true. The other guy did. The other mm-hmm. guy did. Uh, Melvin. 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 Melvin got the least amount of. You know, uh, nah, he got a little bit more than him. No, I won't say so because like, we knew that like, Eddie, remember Eddie when, was broke. He had he's had a couple divorces. He needed this money, and we knew he was the videographer. We didn't know much. We didn't know much about Melvin at all. Wait, he was a videographer. I thought he owned a bunch of. Uh, I mean, and, he, yeah, and he also owned um the. Uh, oh, he was carrying around a camera. Yeah, you're yeah, right. he was the videographer. I remember in the that. Movie. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and I'm like, would the army take someone who's pigeon toed? You know what? Back then, if you were black, they probably would because they would they just put you on the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, they probably would have if you were black anyway. What do you think about the the whole uh, the the uh, the the French? Oh, men. the Roach. Yeah, the roach. <laughs> the roach. Uh, well, I knew that nigga was going to turn on them as soon as he showed up on screen. I knew he was. He had villain written all over him. Did he? That's kind of. That's kind of. That's one of the negatives I have against this movie. It's it's a little it's a little bit predictable. It's very predictable, and I also feel like it was a few minutes too long. Yeah, that joint is like two hours. Two hours and thirty-four right? minutes. Jesus Christ! That movie like, could have been a smooth hour forty-five. It's like you remember that scene when they, uh, after they found the gold, and you literally, hey, there's some over here. There's some over here. There's Absolutely. some over here. That was there's way some too over long. here. There's some over. I'm like, are, you, are they really gonna? Spike like, Lee needs a new editor. Do some cuts, man. I, I really thought they was gonna montage that shit, but no, they just straight up. There's some here. And here, like one after the other, I'm like, yo, you could have cut. Spikely needs a brand new editor because whoever yeah. is the editor of this movie was complete and utter garbage. Yeah, man, I don't know. Like, yeah, two, two and a half, two out. Yeah, two and a half hours. It's, it's a bit much, bro. Um. Incidentally, that's my score, by the way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, did you have any opinions on DeRoach as the main villain of the movie? As the main villain, I mean. I also didn't like him as soon as he gave off this arrogance, you know, and he was talking about Americans and all this other bullshit. And, you know, he wasn't wrong. I I guess what I guess fucking uh, Paul was initially the one who was calling him a Frenchman and saying, oh, the French didn't do diddly squad until America came in and we we bailed your asses out. What you guys wouldn't be shooting out of this. I'm like, to me. I'm like, why? Why is this? Why is Paul even bringing up the war in a business meeting? Yeah, this is he's that like, type of nigga. He's he's a super, you know, America. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in the war, motherfucker. 
You ain't gonna talk shit to me, especially not no Frenchman. You know, he's that I don't type think of I've ever seen that that person with a black with black skin in my life. I think that person would be all, surprised. That, that especially kind of, especially if they were in the armed forces, you'd be surprised. That kind of character has always mostly been a white person. You you've never seen that type of character mm-hmm. in a black. That's true, black. that's true. But those type they exist, man. They do. That's what I'm saying. Spike that's is shedding a light on them and you know, mm-hmm. they were they, they you know, it's crazy that and there was a um you see touched on this earlier that these black soldiers were fighting for a country that didn't give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. They had literally just heard about Martin Luther King being killed while they were fighting in the war. And they were ready to, 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 to I don't know what they were going to do. You think they were going to go kill some of, the, some of their white soldiers? Maybe. I mean, I, yo, being in the mentality of, of a black person living back then and seeing the, how they just took out Martin Luther King Jr., the same guy that I like to quote so much today, by the way, even though y'all fooled him. But you know, I, I'm not. They probably wanted to. I don't know. I don't know if they knew what they were gonna do, which is why Stormer Norman had to call, calm them down. Like, uh, like one of them said, he was our Malcolm and our Martin. He knew when to be like. He knew when to be Malcolm, and he knew when to be Martin. And at that time, at that point, you know, when he, you know, there was a whole bunch of them. They didn't know what to do. Or that he didn't know how they were going to react or who they were going to shoot or what was going on. He had to be the Martin and calm them down, you know? Right. Before they did something they regretted. I mean, but okay, let's, let's get to the real, the real judgmental judgment of this, this movie here. But let me just touch on one more thing. I thought it was very interesting. I, I, I wasn't aware of this, but it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. That... Um, uh, in between each uh, monologue or each um, cut to the past, there would be um, Hanoi. Hanoi Hannah. Yes. Who who was an actual person, by the way? Yes. You can actually person. find like recordings of like her talking to U.S. troops. You know, like basically, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, the Americans don't give a fuck about you. Why why are you even fighting us? Why are you exactly. even fighting? She for was basically yeah. like you know, egging them on like America does. You're fighting for a country that gives nothing about you, mm-hmm. so brothers, you know? And you, know, and, and you know, it's fucked up because it's obvious she's kind of using it to manipulate them, but at the same time, she wasn't wrong, like... She wasn't! Like she, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't have material to manipulate She was mind-fucking them If y'all, if y'all wasn't facts. fucking up, you know? That's the thing. You know? She was mind-fucking them with facts, my man. Yeah, exactly. And like I was like, wow, th- these men are under—they're under pressure from being black. They're under pressure in a different country from being invading soldiers. They're under pressure by that by that country with mind games. They're playing black music and then spouting bra- black propaganda against America to try and get the black uh, American soldiers to lay down arms. I'm like, there were so many. Le- levels in which that these characters were tortured mentally, physically, and spiritually throughout the whole movie. 100%. It was was very interesting to see this uh, part of history, which you don't see like you don't the see the blacks. black side of Vietnam very often. Yeah, or even really war, war movies, period. Like, let's be real here. A lot of times, you know, and the, like... It's almost like, and this goes for video games too. Like in 
video games and movies that center around the armed forces and they have like a couple of black soldiers in the main cast. How often do they really address race in the armed forces? Because you know there are hundreds, if not thousands of stories of black uh, black soldiers being talked down to and delegated to do the the most remedial work because they're black. Definitely been called nigger a couple of times, if we're being honest. Definitely have. And, you know, it was was interesting to see that uh, point of view. Now... One of the flashbacks that we touched on a little bit earlier that included Paul killing Storm and Norman. Did you see that come? Did you see that coming? I I honestly, that was probably the only thing I didn't see coming. Yeah, I I was, I was, I was, I was like, oh shit. And then I was like, that's why he's so like, he's more fucked up than the rest of them because he's the one who actually accidentally shot Storm and Norman. You know, and and you know, I, I, one thing, and this is a positive about the movie, it's very realistic. Its portrayal of PTSD, even Stormy Norman's death scene, even like the fight scenes, they weren't like flashy or you know doing too much with the action. It was pretty realistic action. You know, none of the none of them were like Rambo just shooting motherfuckers up. They was like you know pew pew, you know that you know shots and then taking cover, like you know. And Storm Norman's death scene, he didn't do anything, like, dramatic, like, oh, and all that shit. He just, you know, he got shot, and then he died, you know? Uh, and that's definitely, that. oh. that, that's something I would give to Spike Lee. This was a very uh, realistic movie. And if if uh, uh, Delroy Lindo doesn't get some kind of award for his monologues, which were some of my favorite scenes in the film possibly my favorite scene man shit i don't know what to say that dude he deserves some awards for them scenes man you think so i felt that the monologues were really out of place really i felt they came it came out of nowhere i mean it's a spike lee movie it is a spike lee movie you're gonna you're gonna get some monologues in there no but you have to establish that tone in the beginning you don't just break the fourth wall you don't know but here's the thing he's at that point, he's having a total mental breakdown. So it makes sense that in universe, he's basically just speaking to no one. Yeah. Because at that point, he's just—he's totally—he's having a meltdown. Uh, you know, his 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 his—he feels like his friends have turned against him. He feels his like son. his son has turned against him. Uh, he's just grabbing the gold and trying to get out before they get caught. Paranoid. You know, yeah, paranoid. You know, he he just took a he, he took a couple white people hostage randomly. He's like, damn, dude, what the fuck? Um, oh, speaking of which, how did you feel? Uh, how did you feel about the the use of landmines in this film? Because even though Ed Pigeon Toad Eddie didn't get too much uh, character development, he definitely got the most memorable death scene. Oh, most definitely. I was like, dang. Arms and legs. Then he got they blew his ass up. Now it was a little obvious that something was about to happen from the way the shot was framed. But still, you know, it was like, God damn. And then, you know, the way they rescued uh what was his name? David. The way they rescued David by, you know, wrapping the rope around him and then pulling real fast and and while he's running at the same time, I thought that was very uh that was very uh creative how they were able to save them from that uh, landmine. Yeah, that was crazy. 
I never, I never quite seen it done like that before. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like that in a, in a movie. But I, honestly, I feel that the the unrealistic part about that scene was that that man probably would have at least be missing one limb of, of some kind. He was. I thought he would. Yeah, he might have been missing a couple a couple toes or something. You know. Yeah, he was way too close to the blast radius to not have have felt something. Motherfucker wasn't saved by the flash. He was saved by <laughs> some rope. Uh, also, um, maybe this is a little buddy. I didn't love his scene where he found the gold. It, it felt like a bit much. Gold! There's gold! Hey, I found the gold! It was, it was, it was a little much. It, it was, it was a and he was supposed to be a Morehouse dude, too. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Morehouse. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spike Lee's alma mater was... and grandfather's. But, um... So, uh, do you have like any least favorite moments or least favorite actors at all? Least favorite moment? I feel like probably my least favorite moments were were when they were in the bar, or when they were with the uh, I don't what were they missionaries? The missionaries who were searching for bombs to defuse or whatever. Love, Landmines. love against mines and bombs. Yes. You didn't like them. Eh, I didn't feel that they needed to be there, to be honest. I, 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 I feel like this, this well, movie tried to be... It tried to include more than it needed to in, in terms of characters. I Honestly, I don't feel like there needed to be like a whole love scene or like some type of uh, uh, allure to a connection between David and the French girl. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that, that was... I don't know. I guess they were they were like kind they of were shoot, that, that felt shoe shoehorned. Yeah, yeah. The movie as well, just yeah. like and I, honestly, I felt like that that actual Vietnamese guy was underused. Their, their tour guide. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's almost by design because, of course, they they're uh, uh, they're not going to totally trust the tour guide. You know, oh, while they're looking for gold. Understand that, but. Yeah. Also, at the same time, you have to be able to trust somebody because it is a large shipment of gold. You, I mean, once you guys got back to him, they think he wasn't. He, they think he wasn't going to know that what that clanking around was. All that heavy, those heavy bags. Like, by the by, did you find it super realistic that these very older gentlemen would have been able to carry that heavy ass gold? No, and and uh, uh, uh what was his name? Um. What was his name? Otis. I felt like he was he was about ready to fall out every two minutes. I honestly I thought Otis was gonna die when he threw those pills away. I was like, oh no, he needs those pills for something serious. And he just threw them out to just to just to prove a point. I was like, oh no, he he's fine. I was yeah. like, this doesn't make any sense though. He has a whole walking stick. Did 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 that like take you out of the flashbacks too? Like the fact yeah. that they look the same, and you, the fact you, that they look the same, I was like, ah, none of these these old guys honestly would not be able to pull off any of this stuff that they're doing. Yeah, I could see that. It, it it threw me off for a minute, but then like once I realized what Spike was doing, I kind of got used to it. It did, I, it didn't bother me as much as it did other people, but I don't blame other people for it taking out of the it taking them out of the movie. Like I get it. Yeah, that, that that it really did take me out of the movie, and it kind of diminished the movie a little bit. I mean, honestly, it's like, to me, and it was very upsetting, 
it felt like to me that Netflix can spend $300 million on a, on a Scorsese movie, but they can't give Spike Lee a decent... Like, this movie felt cheap. It felt like it was made on a quick buck. I'm Did just saying... Like the production. No, actually, it felt the opposite to me. I thought it was pretty production wise, pretty well put together. Honestly. Really? Yeah. Like, what, when you say it felt cheap, like, what, what specifically do you mean? Like, a lot of the camera angles, the cinematography was, was almost not really there at all. Um, the way the camera was, was angled and framed. Through the, like, whole, uh, through the whole film, or just like. Throughout, throughout the whole film, not necessarily the. The flashbacks where they kind of changed the ratio, which we, we didn't really talk about, but they changed the ratio. But I thought that mostly, like the present the present day stuff, it just felt like it was cheaply made. I thought that was purposeful. Like when um like when uh Paul is having a panic attack on the boat, right? With the dudes trying to sell him the chicken. Like that's one of those moments, right, where the camera is a little weird. I thought that was like on purpose because Spike's trying to convey how Paul is feeling at that moment, you know, because he's having panic attack. The camera's a little more, you know, shaky, off balance. You know, I, 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 that's what I thought he was doing. Like, I, I just figured that was on purpose. Well, but no, no. I mean, you're not wrong though, because it's like, how many fucking Adam Sandler movies have they made? Yeah, but those feel of a those feel of a different quality than this movie. Yeah, that's true. Those, those have like a set standard. Like you can you can tell that they're terrible movies, but they're made. But the the quality of them and the way they're made, the cinematography and things, there's a, a standard to it. I don't feel like stance like Spike really met his standard with this movie. Uh, his usual standard of quality. Yes. Uh, yes. I see what you mean. Okay. So, like on your scale of Spike Lee movies, this is on the lower scale. This is on the lower side of the scale. Yeah. Mm. Me personally, I, I I think it's closer to the middle. Only I feel like yeah. Black Klansman is a high. I feel like Black Klansman and Malcolm X are high points. Agreed. Probably one of and them. And bamboozled. Yes, um, and bamboozled. I know you don't like it because look, man, it's not his fault. He couldn't get any budget for that movie, but it's good. Then don't make it. <laughs> no, he had to get the message out there. All right. Screw the message that no one knows about but you is 2020. Man. When did that movie come out? Who's think, talking about it? I think nobody it came out but in like 2003. I think it came you out said what 93? No, 2003. I think actually. This movie did not come out in 2003. I don't. I'm gonna Google it just to make sure. Like I said, he had like no budget. Well, like, then you don't make the movie. Like, make some another project. But he really wanted to make this project. You know. Oh, well, no, tra- it came out in 2000. Really? Yeah. Hmm. September 18th, 2000. And you know what I'm curious about? And I know we might never see this. I want to see what Spike Lee does with, like, what Spike Lee's version of a big budget movie is. Me too. Oh, you mean like a big. T- well. Like a tent. We, kinda, we did kind of get that with uh, the remake of Old Boy, right? Eh. And that movie was not good. I was, but that's also that. that's partially because you could tell Spike probably didn't want to make that movie. 
Like, I think that was one of those situations where, okay, I'll make one of your movies so you can let me make one of my movies, you know? Right. Yeah, Typically. I think it was one of those, yeah, one of those kind of things. I don't think Spike really wanted to make that movie, but yeah. But, like, a big-budget movie that he actually wants to make? I would love to see that, too. No, I know he was supposed to make, um, I don't know what the character's name is, but it was some some offshoot uh, Batman from, a, I guess he was a, a former Spider-Man villain of some kind. He was making some Sony Marvel movie at some point, at one point, but I don't know if he's doing it anymore. I don't know if I want to see a Spike Lee superhero movie. Uh, you're talking about Nightwatch, by the way. Oh, am I? Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know if I want to see a Spike Lee superhero movie. I, I'm just curious as to what a Spike Lee, a big. I would watch Spike it. Lee. All of his movies are so political. Very, very. Like, that's kind of where he he's in his lane. His lane he prefers to be in his political movies. Mm-hmm. But Clansman was political mm-hmm. in its own ass. All his movies have been political. Do uh, the right thing, Chirac. And it's funny, I was listening, or was I listening? Yes, I was listening to a read to a video between of um, Eddie Murphy and um, Spike. And apparently, Spike Lee thought that Eddie Murphy didn't do enough with his platform. He didn't, mm-hmm. ha- he didn't have enough black people. This is in the 80s. He was like, and at the height of Eddie's, you know, fame and everything. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing enough. Uh, with his platform, he wasn't hiring enough black people uh, in his movie uh, at his production company um, and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And Eddie was like, No, Spike, your realm of movie. And then the, the, the interviewer proceeds to ask, Why do you think you guys haven't worked together? Because Spike's realm of movies is political. Eddie's realm of movies is comedic and somewhat dramatic but mostly comedic because not everything can be not every message and every story can be conveyed through politics sometimes you need to hear something through uh, uh, a funnier perspective or a lens Absolutely. Absolutely. and so I feel like even Spike's like comedies they're you know they can be funny but I mean, it's still like very needs, heavily political. You know, Spike needs to needs to direct from other people as opposed to other writers because I think he writes most of his his joints. That wouldn't surprise me. And I, sure I feel does. like he maybe needs a new collaborator. He definitely needs a new editor. Definitely, absolutely. Needs an editor. But I think he needs to uh, some new collaborators, and not everything can, has to be political. To, to be one of our stories, you know? Mm. Like, like, all the stories almost at the core essence are about black people at their ghetto roots. I, I remember th- hearing someone say, I can't remember who, but I think it was like a, a critique of Watchmen, actually, which we'll be talking about later. Why is it when something is black, it also has to be political? Like, why can't it just be why can't it just be like a movie that has black people in it? You know, right? Like the that, Notebook. Uh, that's about white people in love. If there's a movie about black people and there and there are a couple or whatever, oh look at that black that black love story and and how they had to persevere and blah blah blah. White people don't. Uh, love Jones. 
I think Love Jones is pretty basically a, a romance movie, and they just they just happen to be black, right? I could be wrong though. It's been a minute since I. I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm saying they're far and in between. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm saying that they exist, but mostly they're considered political or or their looks at slavery. They're always looks at the downside of what it is to be black to try and make people aware that there is a downside to being black. People are so ignorant to the downside, or they or they they put on their blinders to the downside of being black in America or in the world that when you show that in our mediums in movies and television, Oh, it's political. Oh, they're showing us the, the worst side of, of their, of their world, of their lives. You know, it's never just an uplifting regular ass story. Mm -hmm. I mean, always, Oh, they have to come through something. Oh, because they're black, they have to go through this. Even in, uh, Wait, have you seen, before I say what I'm about to say, have you seen Queen and Slim? Yes. Lord. Okay, so spoilers for Queen and Slim. One, two, three. Even in like Queen and Slim, I mean, again, like you, I also love the movie, but they fucking died at the end. It's like, God damn, shit, you know? Yeah. And also in, in, Eddie's, in Eddie's defense, he's, he's hired plenty of black people for his films. He's had a lot of black people for his films, I think. A good amount, I, I feel like. You know, Agreed. at least and, 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 enough and, and, that he doesn't deserve that criticism. And in his response, he he um one of his responses to Spike, he said, uh it's I firstly I can I don't control the studio. Uh if I if he's like I'm Eddie Murphy, I can I can slam my fist down and say what I want, they're just going to tell me to get the fuck out because I'm just an, an actor that they paid. They, you know, my career could be done, could have been done immediately. Yeah, you know, I hire people where I can in my businesses, but in, in terms of the overall business of it all, he can't do everything himself. He does what he can with his business, with his production company, but in terms of the overall casting, he tries to, but at the end of the day, it is mostly up to the studio and the budgets and the casting directors. So it's not like he wasn't trying. It's just he stayed in his lane where yeah. Spike Lee thought that there should be no lane to stay in. Yeah. Which, I mean, not everyone can be Spike Lee. And not, everybody not, can not, be- not everyone can be Tyler Perry. Yeah, I mean, look at Tyler Perry. Comments about the quality of the actual work aside. Yeah. He very much hires black. He does. And he's very much in support of the black community and he's very much into helping um, black communities get into the arts, mm. so to speak. Tyler Perry should start like an acting company or not a company, an acting uh, a college. Um, uh, 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 no, 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 not acting. Not, not like he would teach, but I'm saying he should like start a school for this, for, for, uh, throughout, you know, various with, with, with professional actors teach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With professional actors and casting directors, not the ones who work on his shit, but, um, like ones who actually deserve and earn the job mm. who Which are I, like from different, different parts of the, the business. Ironically enough, uh, Spike and Tyler did have a little beef for a little bit. 
and you know, from from Spike's side, I I, I get I got where Spike was coming from, but you know, it's just it's ironically, you know, they had a little. Bit. I did as well, and and what did Tyler Perry do? He named one of the studios after Spike Lee. Yeah. So I mean, I hope I hope they're cool now. You know, I I would assume yeah. they're cool now. Okay, I that's think, good. I think that uh, Spike Lee came to Tyler Perry's opening of the studio. Oh yeah, he did. That he did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, wow, we we just totally diverged from the movie. Um, I, I guess we might as well wrap up on the Five Bloods now. Uh, so yeah, overall, it was uh, I felt it was a very well done film that was a little bit too long. All the actors did a great job. Um, I love the story. I love seeing a perspective of the Vietnam War that you we I don't know if we've ever seen it. Have we? Not the Vietnam War, not that I can think of. Okay, so I thought that was very cool to see. I love how the the five was they just they just felt like real people. Like they felt like like a bunch of old dudes that you could just like run into in real life. You know, you you got you you got the sense that these men have like known each other for a very long time. And uh, overall, I would probably give this movie a very enthusiastic three and a half out of five. Really. I give it two and a half. God damn, really? Shit. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Shit, two and a half? Damn, bro. Two and a half, yeah, buddy. I mean, I think it's serviceable. I think that the performances are good, at, are good, but none of these performances are Oscar worthy, I feel. Not even Delroy like Lindo? No, I don't feel like his performance is Oscar worthy. I really don't. I feel he, he, great, he definitely gave a great monologue. I'm not going to knock him for the monologue. But I definitely don't think that his performance will stand out amongst other movies. Mm. Uh, did you see the after credit scene? What was the after credit scene? Well, Thanos showed up and the- now I'm playing. Uh, <laughs> all the- literally, it was uh, the cast and everyone basically going, she. No, I didn't see, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, later on, go back and watch it. It's, it's pretty funny, but yeah. So that's our review of Netflix's The Five Bloods. Go check it out. And now we are about to begin our little discussion slash retrospective on Watchmen. This is a stick up. Who are you? Who am I? If I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be wearing a mask. There are people who believe that this world is fair and good. It's all lollipops and rainbows. We don't do lollipops and rainbows. We know those are pretty colors that just hide what the world really is. Black and white. Soon thou shalt save us. And we will whisper. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. And it came for everybody. Home, please. Seeing as how it's kind of come into the popular consciousness again with HBO giving it out for free. Uh, I mean, I mean, you can't watch it for free now anymore since it's Tuesday, but over the weekend it was free. And, you know, there's a whole lot of civil unrest happening. And, you know, Watchmen, right, the, the miniseries from HBO from uh, not Daniel Lindelof. 
what's his name? David Lindelof. David Lindelof. That's what it was. Who uh, is responsible for Lost. He's responsible for The Leftovers. So, you know, if you're familiar with those shows, that's what he's known for. Uh, Damon, 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 Damon. Yeah. Oh, Damon Lindelof? Yes. Damon Lindelof. Sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, Watchmen, it, ta- it touches on police, race, superheroes, you know, the, uh, racial issues, and it's, it blends them all in into this weird little package. And this isn't going to be, like, a, a particularly structured conversation. This is just basically going to be shooting the shit on, like, just how we feel about the show. So, uh, you want to start? Or you uh, want me to no, you saw saw it most recently, so I'm gonna okay. kind of let you kind of guide this. So, uh, Watchmen to me is a very—I thought it was very well done. I thought it's a very good miniseries. I could also see why it might not be for everyone. Like, first off, it it it, it, it if you if you're a big fan of the movie instead of the book, don't even. Like it's it, it ain't got shit to do with the movie. It's it's pretty much a direct, well, quote unquote direct sequel to the book. And I thought it was very like okay. So the first three episodes, right? I'm I'm getting into it. It's a it's a little it's a little confusing. Like if you have no idea what's going on about the Watchmen uh franchise going in you're gonna be mad confused you're not gonna go you're not gonna know what the fuck is going on at all so the first three episodes are, are to me were a little unorganized in the way it's structured episodes four five and six is really where it hits the ground running to me that's really when i started getting into it you know uh the characters are better established you kind of get a, get what's going on and then seven eight nine i feel like cross the finish line with flying colors to me personally. Mm-hmm. And once again, if you haven't seen Watchmen, spoilers. So watch it and then come back. Uh, you have anything to add as an introduction? Um, this, this movie touches on a lot TV of. of uh, oh, yes, uh, this movie touches on a lot of. TV show. She said movie again. Damn it. This television touches on a lot. This show touches on a lot of, of themes. We were talking about uh, uh, race, racism, um, the master race theory, as in who's better, whites or people who aren't white. You know that that whole shebang, and and like you said, it it's not it's it's t- it takes elements from the movie, but it's mostly uh, like you said, a direct sequel to the book. So things like New York blowing up, for example, like uh, or like it did in the movie, take this. The show took uh, a giant octopus, which is directly happens in the book. So there are certain little things that are different, and clearly there are different actors in the roles that were facilitated in the Watchmen original movie. Um. So it is different in that regard, and also takes place well after that. So it's it's more like a modernized. It takes place today, I would guess, or maybe even yeah, yeah, it does. It takes place today. Well, I guess now, twenty nineteen. I would say even more so the future than than. Well, it's it's a it's an alternate version of twenty nineteen. 
That's the thing. Okay. Because, like, where, and... where uh, we won the Vietnam War because of Dr. Manhattan. Right. Uh, Robert Redford became president, and they got rid of the uh, the, the two-term limit, right? So it, it, could, it creates a totally different world that uh, 2019 is. Right. Okay, so let's talk about performances. Okay, uh, Regina King as Sister Knight. Top notch. No Top complaints. notch. No complaints whatsoever. One of my favorite superheroes, actually. Although I guess technically she's not really a superhero. She's more like basically a, a cop in a costume. But still, eh, close enough. Because, I mean, as far as black female superheroes, who do we really have other than like Thunder Lightning, Storm, Vixen, uh, who's Rocket's sidekick? No, Icon. Icon. Is it Rocket? Is Rocket the sidekick? You know who I'm talking about, right? Icon. Yeah, Rocket. Rocket and Icon? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who. I, mean, I know Icon, but I don't know who his sidekick is. You know, but you know who I'm talking about, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Is it Bumblebee? What? Who? what? Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm pretty sure it's Rocket. But yeah, you know, so it was really cool to see. Um, Regina King as Sister Knight. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see her in the costume too much, like post episode six, because that costume was really dope and I loved it. But eh, it, it's fine. Yes. Um, I I really liked seeing Sister Knight's like origin story. You see, like how she became who she was because her parents got killed uh, by a. Not a suicide bomber because the guy lived, but a bomb that some guy set because he was upset that Dr. Manhattan helped America take over Vietnam and Vietnam became... You know what I just realized? Vietnam plays a major role in both things we're talking about today, and that's a complete accident. Wow. (laughs) You're not wrong. That is hilarious. Wow. But yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, America took over Vietnam and Vietnam becomes the 51st state. And, uh, you know, the, the, the man who set off the bomb, he's upset about that because Vietnam, which for whatever reason, I, well, I guess because, you know, America won. Uh, and they have like a whole holiday celebrating Dr. Manhattan. And, of course, you're going to have people upset about that because they're like, this nigga came through and fucked all our shit up. Why the fuck are we celebrating him? <laughs> Gee, huh. I wonder if that's analogous to anything happening today. I, I wonder. Huh, celebrating people that maybe we shouldn't celebrate. <laughs> That's odd. Anywho, uh, so yeah, you know, the guy set off a bomb and and uh, uh, sister sister Knight's parents died in the in the explosion. She becomes an orphan. She gets into an orphanage. Her grandmother, uh, you know, comes to take her home to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where the most of the show takes place, and uh, she. Dies the same day she met her. <laughs> just randomly, just dead, you know. Uh, so you know, um, Sister Knight faced a lot of like tragedy in her life, and you know, you can really tell how it shaped her character. You know, it made her like stoic. She's kind of like in this show. She's kind of like the closest thing to Batman, I would say. Sister Knight. Ma- yeah, you know, yeah. orphan, stoic. No powers, vigilante. Ba- well, I guess not. Where's really all black? Top, but yeah, huh? Oh yeah, where's all black? Yeah, so yeah, it's probably the closest thing Batman we have in this show. 
Um, and I just, I really loved Regina King's performance. And again, like I said, we're going to be talking about spoilers. The love story she has with Cal slash Dr. Manhattan is one of the best love stories I've ever seen. Yaya Abdul-Manteen did a great job with Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, at yeah. first, the voice wasn't quite there for me when he was doing, like, the kind of disassociated Dr. Manhattan voice. Mm-hmm. But it, it grew on me, and the overall appearance was fine. I, was, I really wanted to see what he – did he – so if I'm understanding right, he was a white man mm-hmm. who, who changed his appearance – to be that of a black man. Yes. They steal from us all the time. <laughs> I mean, he did it for his 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 out of curiosity wife. So it's like he, he did it out of curiosity. He's like, hmm, I wonder. What it wasn't happened. out of curiosity. He was like, well, what what would you feel comfortable with? And then she, you know what? That's something interesting about that scene because the first three bodies that uh, Angela Sister Knight showed him. I believe two were white. Was one Asian or were they? All, well, you're not going to remember because it's been so long, right? But but I, they were, it was either all three were white or one was Asian and two were white. And then Dr. Manhattan was like, look, I love you. I don't really care what I look like. What are you comfortable with? And then uh, he show, she shows him uh, the body of uh, Calvin. Can't remember his actual last name, but the, the, what was the actor's name? Yahya yeah, yeah, Abdul-Mantin. Yeah. Yaha Abdul Mantin. Yaya. Yaya's body. Yep. <laughs> so he shows she shows him Yaya's body. And he's like, okay. And then he turns into him. So it it was it was it, he asked her what she felt comfortable with. Now, do you think there's a reason why Angela like showed him the black body last? Uh or why no. she was hesitant to show him? I maybe because she grew up in in Vietnam, and maybe the the natural thing to do was to to go for somebody who was probably lighter lighter toned. I don't know. Or maybe like she she felt like black men have to go through a lot of shit in America, and I don't know if I mean you have the choice of whether you literally have the choice of whether or not you want to be black. So maybe maybe, like, maybe it's because that's maybe it's because people's most people would say that they're their their first choice would not be to be black or some people feel like th- the choice to be black would not be anyone's first mm. but only yeah but well at least well i mean racism is worldwide but yeah especially in america you know because um, you know systemic racism police brutality all that good stuff right uh and yeah you know and and maybe she felt like i don't want you to have to go through that stuff you know yeah um, um, Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias. Jeremy Irons did an amazing. Did he win any awards for that? I don't think he did. Did he? I don't think he did. Which is wild. He he was great as Ozymandias. He was great. Um, did you did the on the first time you watched it? Did you get that every single time we cut back to him, it was a year later? No. Wait. What? Is this the first time you're realizing this? Yes. Yeah. Every single flashback was a year later. You you've gone this whole time and you didn't know. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah, every yeah. So like every single flashback is why that's and you know what? What's his name? Da- not Daniel Lindelof, is it? Is it Damon? Damon, Damon Lindelof. That's why he had him like 
have a birth. You remember he was he had a birthday cake every flashback. Uh-huh. That was the hint. They didn't make it super obvious. But that that's I just thought cake. it was like he was in this constant loop of them bringing him cake. Yeah, no, nah, bro. Like they were just idiots. Cake. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. It was a year later every time. That's why every single flashback he was getting more and more annoyed, more and more like, man, I want to get the fuck out of here. This is bullshit. Like, cause it's every single time it was a year later. Yeah. Well, I just thought he was getting more and more annoyed because each day of cake is like, come on now, it's a bunch of bullshit. Nobody wants cake every day. Yeah. No, bro. Wow, this is this is literally the first time you're finding out. Breaking news. I did not know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I like the way that they uh, that they did that. Um, and like I said, Jeremy Irons did a great job as Ozymandias. He, the narcissistic guy who thinks he's the hero, but he's honestly the villain. He if thinks you he's the savior of the world. He thinks like, he's fucking Superman. I achieved world peace, and no one thanks me. But you know, the fucked up part is he technically did achieve world peace you know that's kind of fucked up thing about it he just killed a shitload of people to do it you know mm-hmm. um how did you feel about the twist with lady true being ozymandias dog, his daughter? daughter yeah uh didn't see it coming i mean i kind of did i bet you did i i did honestly when, when she said um you know what did it for me when she said uh something about her father uh or when uh angela asked her was it Angela or was it Silk Spectre two? I think it was. I think it was just Silk Spectre. Was it Silk Spectre who asked her? I think so. Okay, well, if it was her that asked her, so where's your father? And she was like, "Oh, he'll be here soon." And then I thought about the Ozymandias statue that she had, and then I remember that once I forget what episode, but there was an Ozymandias statue, right? And then right. Damon Lindelof did like a fade in into another what we now know to be a flashback of Ozymandias over it. Like that, those two things together, I'm like, oh shit, Ozymandias is probably her dad. So, but I like the twist, you know, and it's pretty obvious. They have very similar personalities. What are now, you <laughs> now her, her mama, her mama's kind of trifling though. Yeah. Her mo- yo, she, she Jack dudes like, dude, I'm like, yo, she stuck a needle up and like, what? God damn. She saw he was living. She saw his, his genetics and she said, you know what? Shit, let okay. me get me an Ozymandias. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, what's man. weird is that that little girl was her mom. Yeah, the clone. Yeah, like Silk Spectre. No, was it Silk Spectre who called her fucked up or was it Angela? It was Angela, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, she is. That was crazy. That I did not see coming. Her the clone, uh, her quote unquote daughter being a clone of her mom. That was crazy. Indeed, it was extremely crazy. Um, but yeah, like the the love story between uh Sister Knight and Doctor Manhattan. That episode, which has the best title out of the whole series, uh, God walks into a bar. Love that title. Uh, I, it 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 almost felt like a Doctor Who story. You know, like wait, have you seen Doctor Who? No. All right. Well, if you, if anyone's listening to this, has seen Doctor Who, it felt like the type of story they would tell between River Song and the Eleventh Doctor, like, because the way Doctor Manhattan experiences time is he experiences he experiences it like all at the same time, right? So mm-hmm. he's here in 2019, but he's also here in 1980, whatever. 
you know, just, it's that, like, with us, you know, it's linear. We just, you know, whatever happens to us happens in that moment. Him, he always knows what's going to happen in his own life because it's just happening to him at the same time, constantly. Uh, so it was really interesting to see, like, that episode, they go, like, back and forth with Dr. Manhattan, like, back and forth in time, in his own timeline, like, he's talked to Ozymandias here, but he's also talking to uh, Angela here, and he's like, oh, Angela just made a joke about this. Oh, you just made a joke. You know, I thought that was really cool. That's probably, I don't think that's the best episode in the in the miniseries, but it's my favorite. As far as the best episode in the miniseries, I would say it was episode six. What happened in episode six? That was the episode where Angela OD'd on nostalgia, which is a drug. That, oh, yes. Yeah, that, that's a drug that allows a person to experience past memories. But and the, the nostalgia so pills cool. belong... Yeah, she, she... Which was... That was stupid. I don't know why... Why did... Why, why did they have her do that? She took all of her grandfather's nostalgia. That seemed like a very... I don't understand why that character would do that, though. So like, if she was out. trying to hide, like, evidence, I feel like there's a better way to do it than just downing the whole damn bottle. Without water, too? Like, are those pills, like, easy to swallow? I mean, damn. But yeah, what were you going to say? So we basically, in within these flashbacks, or we find out that her grandfather was Hooded Justice, who was believed to be a white man. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was always wondering, like, why is a white dude... I don't know. Like, is it weird if I'm like, why, why is this white superhero wearing a noose around... I mean, I guess it could be like an executioner's thing, but I don't know. I feel like with, with Hooded Justice's backstory now... With him being like uh, the only black officer in Harlem, I believe, and the uh, and the only one of the only survivors of the Tulsa massacre. Yeah, the Tulsa massacre, which a shocking amount of people didn't know about until this show. Uh, and yeah, so he was a black. He was the only black officer in Harlem. So of course, you know, they're not going to take him seriously. He was stumbling upon a conspiracy theory involving the police department and the clan, or an offshoot of the clan called the Cyclops. I mean, they're basically the clan, whatever. And, you know, he gets kidnapped by some of his fellow officers, almost hung. You know, they give him a warning, don't fuck with us or we'll kill you. And he wears the noose around his neck because while he was, like, walking back to town, you know, he still had the noose around his neck, you know, that they cut off. And then he sees this white couple being attacked by some robbers or whatever. He puts on the hood, Becomes such justice, beats the shit out of the bad guys, saves a couple, and I thought I thought that uh, backstory was very interesting to witness. I thought it was a very well done episode. Um, the I don't know. Uh, how did you feel about the episode? I thought it was an it, it was a it was a real journey to see where he came from, um, with the massacre, of course, uh, with. Black Wall Street, and then he he really like coming to terms with his sexuality, and then what type of cop he, he was, or that he wanted to be, and then what type of hero he ch- would choose to be, and that choosing to be a hero 
means he has to he has to do white face basically to be a hero because no one will fucking no one will believe in him as a hero if he was a if he was just some black guy. Yeah, I believe the words in the show were white man in a mask is a hero, black man in a mask is scary. Captain Metropolis, what that guy was a fucking jackass, bro. What a, what, a, piece what a of tool. So let me get this straight. So you can fuck this nigga. You ain't gonna help him like solve like he this nigga's literally on top of a conspiracy involving the clan and the pool and the which by the way, that plan was fucking wild. Using a movie projector to to uh brainwash black people into attacking each other. That's fucked up. Come on now, you know niggas never fuck up at the movie theater. That's that's the one. That's one of those places that we, we're not messing in, messing around in no movie theater. Come on now, we're there to watch a movie. That's messed up. And that 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 that, that plan was mad crazy. But like, and you're not even gonna help him. Like, you have a whole ass super team right here. He's like, yo, there's shit going down in Harlem. I need your help. And he's like, damn, that's crazy. Sorry though. Like what? I, I you know I feel like. Lindelof did that to show how, like, sometimes, because Captain Metropolis was a gay white superhero in. Do you remember what year it was? Was it the fifties? I think it was like. Okay, let's say, let's say the fifties, right? Forties, no. Not even the fifties. Yeah, fifties. Who was in this? Like, I guess not really. This man was a hundred and something years old by the time this he like. In present day, yeah, so probably like fifties, sixties, whatever. He he was in this not really relationship, but thing with a, a black man, Hooded Justice, right? So mm-hmm. you would think he would be a little more like understanding of like race issues, but like not really. He didn't really give a shit. He just liked the ass. I mean, I guess you know it's kind of fucked up. What a dick. <laughs> But then, you know, hey, Hood of Justice did his thing, though. He came through and fucked them Klansmen up, boy. He fucked them up bad, you know. So that, that, that was a really dope scene. Oh, and then they, they even, they one up that scene with uh, Cal slash Dr. Manhattan fucking up all them Klansmen, too. Mm. Oh, my God. That was probably my favorite scene in the entire miniseries. When, when, when uh, Dr. Manhattan, who has the face of a black man, it's just going bow, bow, bow on all the yo. That was wow. That scene was dope. That scene was dope. And even the scene before that was dope. When you you see like uh uh Angela, right? I mean, she's taking on the the Seventh Calvary, which is uh, basically the name for the new clan in uh Watchmen. She's taking them on by herself, and she's like, "Hey, you know, maybe I'll die, maybe I won't, but I'm gonna stick up for my husband," you know. And that was the like Dr. Manhattan said, he said that this is the moment where I fell in love with you. I'm like, damn, my heart. Cause you know, you know it's gonna end bad. Cause Dr. Manhattan already told us this is gonna end in tragedy. You know. Uh, but yeah, you have anything to add? Um, no, I, I mean I think you touched on a lot of things within this episode and the tragedy of 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 being a hero and not being taken seriously as a black man, but as a white man. And, and he carried that anger for a very long time too. For a long time. And like, and it felt good when he finally was whooping the clan members asses in that bunker. Mm-hmm. It felt amazing to see that shit happen. Cause you know, there are so many black people 
who like I, you don't you don't see often uh, depictions of a black man fighting a group of Klansmen or a group of ra- of racist white men and coming out almost unscathed, coming out alive. Because most times he thinks maybe he thinks he's got one or he's got two, but then somebody comes in with a gun. Or the group gets larger and he and it's it's too much for him and then they hang him by his neck and he's he looks at them knowing at least he tried. No, this guy succeeded. He whooped ass from his from the start of him busting down the door and all the way up to the shop upstairs. He was whooping ass left and right. Mm-hmm. And it felt good to 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 see not only a black character, but a black superhero doing that. It it it's what it's the reason why we need superheroes. It's the reason why the superheroes are such a large part of the medium that we enjoy and that we love because they do the things that, that we should do that we wish we could do to better humanity or to, to stop injustice. And I feel like there's so, there's so many different themes and angles just in this one episode that you could, you could analyze um from the black cop perspective to the black gay man perspective to the like i said the black superhero perspective and like and that line you just said uh, a white man with a mask is a hero a black man with a mask is scary like there's so many angles to be approached in this one episode and angela gets to see all of it over the course of i guess like a day or so like she's ODing pretty hard, but they're trying. They're also trying to keep her alive while it passes through her system, and it was an interesting story. Totally interesting. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And um, like I said, that was really the episode that brought it all together for me. Where I'm like, okay, this this might be like elite tier, you know, as far as like TV shows. This is a really good show. Um, how did you, now, the twist with Cal being Dr. Manhattan, did you see it coming? I didn't. Yeah. And I definitely didn't see it coming, I definitely didn't see the transformation coming the way it was, it was going to come. Oh, when, he, when she whacked him on there with the hammer? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I figured when she pulled it, now, for me, it was, it was spoiled beforehand, but whatever, it, it was fine. I'm just randomly scrolling Twitter, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, has Doctor Manhattan. Okay, thanks for the spoiler. Uh, but it's it's fine. I, I still enjoy the show. Uh, how did you feel about the Seventh Calvary? And uh, and uh, Keen, I guess Keen Junior actually as the leader. Um, I don't know how to feel about the Seventh Calvary. It was an interesting take on. The, the Ku Klux Klan and a combination of the morals and values that Rorschach had. But Which it, uh, it, followed up on the... Because um, if you remember in the comic book, uh, uh, a right-wing editor got a hold of uh, Rorschach's journal or whatever, and he like published it in a, in a right-wing newspaper. So that eventually led to the 7th Calvary. And that's why they're all wearing Rorschach masks. Because they kind of like took his message and like, you know, they distorted oh, this, it. Yeah, basically. And they were really trying to 
It's crazy. They were trying to hijack Dr. Manhattan's powers to create the ultimate racist super weapon. You know what? One line that took me out was when Kane was like, it's hard to be a white man in America. So I'm going to turn blue. You don't get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck did this man just say? Okay, I'm turning this fucking episode off. <laughs> hard to be a white man in America. It's the funniest shit I ever heard in my life. Alright, bro. Well, yeah, man. Um, yeah, uh, I thought his pl- his plan was super fucking like a racist with the powers of Dr. Manhattan, who's also president. I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, how fucking frightening is that? But then you see Lady True come up with, oh, turns out, motherfucker, I already knew about your plan. Now I'm going to use your plan to help my plan, which is to take Dr. Manhattan's powers and improve the world. Now, do you think Lady True would have actually improved the world, or you think she would have just eventually tried to take it over? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. I compared um, Lady True to Andrew Yang in the most, hopefully the most, what? Hopefully the most unracist way. I'm like they, they. I feel like. Never mind. I'm not gonna even. That's not your touch on this. This is gonna. This is gonna. You go sure up. you don't want to say Elon Musk? Sure. Yeah, Elon Musk. Let's let's say, let's say Elon Musk instead. Yeah, let's do that. Jesus Christ. And I would say Elon Musk s- before Yang. God damn. Huh? I would say Elon Musk before Andrew Yang. Well, a- Andrew Yang was trying to change the world by becoming president. Something meaningful. I so, mean, yeah, but Lady True wasn't trying to become president. She definitely was trying to change the world and make it in a, an image much more to palatable, I would say. So, I mean... Yeah. In, in 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 that regard, they they are they do have similar motives. It's just the means in which they take those motives are drastically different. Although Andrew Yang does seek to to move, did seek was seeking to move the country, at least Western civilization, into a more modernized, technologically in, intelligent uh, version of where we are at now, without taking away jobs from Americans and I feel like Lady True is you know she was also of the mindset of incorporating more technology into the world via her smarts but I I can agree with you that that's probably also along the lines of an Elon Musk type uh what I think she she would have changed the world or just tried to kill it is that what you said yeah do you think she actually would have like or like after she did whatever she wanted to do to the world, would she be like, you know what? I have, I still have all these godlike powers. Maybe I should just take it over. Maybe I should just be in charge of everything. I feel like I feel like I honestly feel like the inevitability is that each person who gets that power would probably end up being just like Doctor Manhattan. They'd probably end up seeing multiple realities, being in transient in time and also lucid through time, and experience things over and over again. The only difference I, I see it is that it turned Dr. Manhattan more into uh, a pacifist, even though he had the ability to just wipe any win away with a, with a thought or the wave of a finger. I felt like it turned him more into a pacifist as with maybe a weaker-minded individual. It could drive them insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she is still Ozymandias' daughter. Yes, and so I, I automatically assumed 
And because of her her intelligence and her knack for building things that she clearly inherited from her father, um, John, Doctor Manhattan, John, yeah, he was, John he was a nuclear physicist, I believe. So he was his. So he was already pretty decently smart. So he understood the variations of time and the variations of physics. And so his mind was already open and aware of some of those things. So going into it with powers and abilities, I feel Lady True probably, she probably would have gotten lost in the sauce, to be honest. She probably would have thought, just like John does, that nothing she would do would be inevitable because everything is inevitable when it is when it is time. I agree. How do you feel about the line that uh, Hooded Justice said about Dr. Manhattan? Where And I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but he said something along the lines of, he had a lot of power. It's just a shame he didn't do much with it. What do you think that, what do you interpret that to mean? What do you think he meant? Well, I think what Lindelof was trying to do with that line coming out of Hooded Justice was kind of speaking about how a lot of people can often have the power to do something, but for one, for one reason or another, they just don't. I mean that could be that could be said about a lot of that could be said about presidents that could be said about uh elected officials you know maybe actors athletes with uh platforms that they could use to like you know aid social justice or whatever and for whatever for whatever reason you know they just choose not to um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I figured that's what to me that's what that line was uh, talking about. Yeah, I, and I agree. I mean, I feel as though Doctor Manhattan literally had he had power to bring about, I think, unlimited wealth and peace across the entire world. This man literally, mm-hmm. I mean, could have everywhere where there's resources, he could have doubled those resources. Like the the argument with. Thanos, right, is that he thought that the population of the world was too, of not the world, but the galaxy, the universe was too large. Mm. That population was too large and there wasn't enough room. Instead of cutting the population of life in half, you doubled the resources. Actually, I've read a theory, I might, I don't know, I don't even remember where I read this, but I've read, it might be bullshit. But I read that someone said that, oh, the reason he didn't do that is because he can't, the way the, 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 the stones work, he can't just make something out of nothing. Which I'm like, but doesn't he have the reality stone? Doesn't that allow him to do that? I don't know. It literally allows him to do anything. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah I thought that was bullshit. mind can think of that can change reality. Anything you can think of in, in your mind that you can change reality is what the stone is for. Okay. It brings that to reality. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Um, I mean, this nigga literally created life on one of the, one of Jupiter's moons. Which, by the way, having him literally be able to walk on water is a bit on the nose, Lindelof. I mean, come on. Like, this nigga literally made his own version of Adam and Eve. It's a little bit on the nose. Just a little bit. But I, you know, I ain't gonna hold you to that. Um, overall, I thought it was a very, it's a very good television show. Um, do, if you do can... You think- do you think it lends itself for a second season, or do you think it's it's um, fine and, and and contained where it's at? If we never get a second season, which by the way, that last scene where because 
and it's funny, you know, the egg has, was actually a motif throughout the entire show. But um, damn, I got to go through a whole thing to even explain that. To okay, so Doctor Manhattan on their date shows that he could like put his power into an egg, and like if someone were to eat that egg, they would get his powers. Blah blah blah. So fast forward, Doctor Manhattan dies, and there's a little hint. He's like, watch the eggs, and then she like drops the eggs or whatever. And but there's one egg that's not broken. So it's implied that it's possible that Dr. Manhattan put his powers into that egg and Angela ate the egg. And then the the show, you know, pulls a, a Sopranos where they cut off right before we see if she can walk on water. Mm. Uh, I love that ending. Um, I'm okay with not ever knowing. I I'm I'm fine if we don't if we get a season two I'm not complaining but I'm fine if we never do. Okay, one subject we didn't one person or at least one character we didn't talk about. Uh, looking, looking glass. glass. Yeah. Looking glass. Looking glass. Um, I liked and I love this actor. Hold on, I'm I'm looking up his name right now. Tim Blake Nelson. Yep. He did a great job as Looking Glass. He was like, he's almost like the, you watch King of the Hill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the Dale Gribble of this show. You know, he's, he's very paranoid, which you can see why, because he was on ground zero of the, the, the incidents, you know, the giant squid attack that like killed everyone around him in New York. You know, so you, you get why he is the way he is as the show informs you. Um... And Tim Blake Nelson, I feel like, is a very underrated actor. He's an underrated character actor for sure. Yeah. yeah I he's the only the only thing I've seen him in where I didn't like him was Fant Forstick, but that wasn't his fault. You know, it is what it is. Tim Nelson was in Oh yeah. Yeah, he was. It, it was kind of a small part, but yeah. That and uh the Incredible Hulk. MCU Incredible Hulk? Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. He was uh the the, the, leader. the, the yeah, the leader. Uh, yeah. call him the Mandarin. Actually, I was I was about to say the Master, but that's the wrong show. That's not him. But yeah, um, where the leader is in the MCU. They actually filmed a one shot that explains it. You can look it up later. But yeah, they 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 explained it. But you gotta look for it. Um, but yeah, man, he did a great job as Looking Glass. Um, you really felt for his character. I like the little hint they did. Like, okay, so there was an episode where the ending is you just see the Seventh Cavalry going to his house, obviously there to kill him. And then the next episode, when they come back, you see that one of the Seventh Cavalry is missing their masks, which leads to another episode, like, what, two episodes later in the last episode, where it's like, oh, he's, uh, he's undercover trying to stop them or figure out what's going on. And then he saves uh, Silk Spectre. Um, who, by the way, that's another person we gotta talk about. Um, and save Silk Spectre. So I thought that was really cool how they did that. You know, with the whole, you know, oh, this clan, this cavalry person is missing their masks. So okay, look, we know where Looking Glass is. Yeah, he's, he's an excellent performance. He's very underrated. I feel like he was this series. Um, this series is Rorschach. Really? In what yeah. way? What way? Well, I mean, Rorschach was a detective. Um, Looking Glass was somewhat, he was a police officer who happened to also be a detective looking, he's detective Looking Glass, really. And both were 
I won't say Looking Glass wasn't homeless. Both were paranoid. Both, I think, possibly schizophrenic, and both wore masks. Mm. I mean, although Looking Glass's mask was more so to get a lot of people to see a reflection of themselves, Rorschach's was more so to mimic the chaos of the world in front of him by the ink blot. I want to ask you this. Yes. Do you think, because the show kind of implies, I don't know if they imply it as a power or if it's just something he can do. They imply that he's very good at telling when someone is lying. Mm. Do you think it's bullshit, though? Because remember when that lady who he was trying, he was trying to fuck, that's, you know, he was. But, like, she tricked him, like, into, like, trapping him with the 7th Cavalry. Mm-hmm. He couldn't tell that he couldn't tell that she was like setting him up. Do you th- so? Do you think maybe it's bullshit that he actually can't? I just do think maybe he just he's just really good at reading people, mm. and he just gets distracted by like women he's attracted to. Because if you remember, the same thing happened uh, at the incident, and then yeah. like stole all his clothes. That was fucked up. She need to do all that. So okay, okay. So he's he's just gonna read the people. Uh, Agent Lori, aka the second Silk Spectre. Uh, great. Who's played by? Give me a second. Carla Gugino. Did I say no? Carla Gugino was from the original Watchmen movie. Ah. That is the movie. Hold on, give me a second. Gene Smart. Okay, yes. that's a much easier name to say. Gene Smart, who did a great job. It was really one of those roles where you don't you don't even feel like she's acting. You feel like that's just her. Yeah. Like the it was just effortless. You know, just like oh yeah, sarcastic. You know, jerk. Yeah, I can play that. Whatever. Like it was just you know. She's really like perceptive, you know. She's a former vigilante, so she knows how vigilantes think. Yeah, so and so she's a basically she was trained to be a detective mm-hmm. all her life, especially when she was running around with Rorschach and um, Night Owl. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I really I liked her character, um, her little interactions with Petey, who I guess is just still stuck in that house with all them dead bodies. I guess we never really picked up on that again. Who knows? <laughs> By the way, you know who that lube man was, right? No, who was that? That was Petey. Pete Davidson? No, Petey. Who's Petey? Uh, Agent Lori's partner. Oh, it was Petey, really? Yeah, it was Petey. <laughs> Petey's weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a lo- another Lindelof. Again, they, is, they never confirmed that in show, but if you look it up, it was Petey. You know, they actually, you remember the PDPedia, right? Like his little, like, notes thingy? They actually put that yeah. online. Like, HBO put that oh. online. Oh, really? Yeah, like, as a little, like, uh, add on to the show. So if you want to, you can read it, and, you know, it gives you more insight into the events of what happened in the show. So if you're a fan of the show, go check that out. Uh, so, yeah, I loved her character. Um, just to just wrap everything up, overall, I think it's a very well done program, but I could also see how the first three episodes could alienate someone, because you have no idea what the fuck is going on, 
And if you don't care to find out, then you'd probably be alienated. But if you're interested and you're like me, you're like, I really want to know what's happening in this show, then I feel like it's worth the wait. And I would have to give it a four and a half out of five. I can give it a straight five. Excellent series. It takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. There's great amounts of drama. It's they're very different from the Zack Snyder film, but it's it's got its own unique flavor. It takes its own time period. It's it's bound to the story of the past, but it builds on it with its own sort of narrative. Um, and we really just like focus on the black aspect of being a superhero and um, what it's like in the past tense or what it was like in the past and what it's like today. And necessarily, I feel like being a black person every day is like, te- is like taking your life into your own hands, much like a vigilante mm-hmm. does every night, every day. A black person has to do that every night, every day. We take our lives into our hands because within the world, we live in today just going outside or even being inside your own home could get you killed. I mean, yeah, you know, we, 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 like you said, we see that today with everything that's been going on lately. So the show is very timely and very arguably ahead of its time, but well, I mean, I guess not really because the shit, I mean, it, it, it hasn't ended at any point, you know? So I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's very timely. Uh, we, we clearly we both highly recommend it, and so if you haven't seen it, uh, it's a little too late to see it for free. But hey, you know, give it a watch. Hmm. Give it a watch. It's enjoyable. Not for everybody. They will piss some people off. I'm, I definitely think it already did when it first aired. But it's why, why is Doctor Manhattan black now? <laughs> he was blue. Why would you make a perfectly blue character a black guy? You make me mad. What? Who? What is Warshak? Shut like nigga. Just watch the fucking show or don't. Goddamn. What is Watchmen political now, nigga? Watchmen was everything always political. Is, when you think about it, everything is. Alan Moore is the most lefty ass motherfucker. Like what? Are you? Do you know who Alan Moore is? Like what are you talking about? Like I, like I, I just—it's honestly amazing to me how many people can like watch something and gain absolutely zero. Like they don't understand the subtext at all. They just take it for what it is. I actually saw someone on Facebook get mad at one of the co-creators of Avatar: The Last Airbender because he was talking about how political it was. He was like. Nigga, it's just a kid show. Shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? It's not political. Avatar The Last Airbender is one of the most political kids' cartoons I've ever seen in my life. Like, what are you talking about? It, 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 it talks about genocide. It talks about colonialism. Uh, fascism. Like, what? What What show are you watching? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Some people just don't get it, I guess. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Well, that's the show. Uh, Where can they find you, my man? Find me on Instagram at One Handsome Geek. It's One Handsome Geek spelled how it sounds on Instagram. Now on Twitter, follow me at jbat97. The name is at jbat97. Follow me on PSN at mystery997. Where can they find you, dude? 
You can find me on both Twitter and IG at do underscore man. That is one A T D S one O underscore M A N. You can follow me at PSN at adnance one A T D S M A N T. Follow the show Words and Blurs, spelled how it sounds: W O R D S F R O M B L E R D S. On all major platforms: Apple yep. Podcasts, Spotify, yep. and yep. SoundCloud. Just Google yep. us, and we'll be there. Follow us on Twitch. Streams from Blurds. Streams spelled streams from Blurds spelled from Blurds. Well, uh, we just had our first stream. As a yeah, business. we're uh, no, no. Uh, actually, I'm going to stream today. Today, is, today's the yeah. first stream. Yes, today's okay. the first stream. Pretty, well, pretty, do, pretty soon after we end this episode, actually. And do will be streaming The Last of Us Part Two. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of that game or that series now, then give it a watch. And that's the show. And we are out. Justice for Deanna Taylor. Arrest the niggas, please. And that's it.